Uh, on the Blood Covenant, this morning is uh, installment number five. And um, when I think about my ministry as a teacher, I'm really not called to be a teacher. I'm really, although people learn things, so we just, we can hang that on the Lord. Um, but um, I'm more of a prophetic type, um, you know, preacher prophetic type. But I, I, was, I was thinking about what, what happens with people when I'm sharing the word. And the Lord said, behold, you're a pencil sharpener. And I thought, you know what? I think that's right. Because if you think about it, everyone here seems to be old enough to remember pencil sharpeners. Uh, but you know a pencil, the, 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 the core of the pencil, the lead, the thing that actually has a point to make and, and is able to write and to write out a vision and, and give out a word, it's encased in wood, it's encased in this earthy substance. And sometimes it gets worn down, sometimes it gets broken off. And guess what? You can't write. It's stuck up there in the wood. And, and that's the way, um, that's the way sometimes we get um, is our spirit man just gets dull. And uh, we need a pencil sharpener. And so I praise God because what I believe happens week by week is the, your pencils, your spirit gets sharpened. And you leave out with, you've got a point. You've got something to communicate with. So I pray today that there will not only be a point, but you'll leave sharp in the Lord and fresh and ready to share. Galatians chapter 4, if you're following along in the Bible, um, and uh, as we prepare to begin, let me just remind you that uh, all of our messages week by week are available in a couple of places free to download or to listen to online. Um, one place is podbean.com. Uh, you can go there, set up an account, it's free, very easy. And uh, at any rate, so podbean.com. Also, go to our website, uh, faithchristianchurch.com. And on the media page, there are all the messages. You can just listen to them, and they're available. I think we're also on iTunes. So, great. Thank you, Chris. Um, Galatians chapter 4, beginning in verse 4. But when the proper time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born subject to the regulations of the law, to purchase the freedom of those who were subject to the law, to redeem them, to atone for those who were subject to the law, so that we might be adopted and have sonship conferred upon us and be recognized as God's children. And because you really are his sons, his children, God has sent the Holy Spirit of his Son into your hearts, crying, Abba, Father. And Abba is an Aramaic phrase for Daddy. Everyone say, Daddy. Um, so because you are children of God, God has sent forth the Spirit of His Son into your heart, crying, Dad, Daddy, Abba, Father, the most intimate way of approaching a Father and our Heavenly Father. And he wraps up in verse 7 by saying, Therefore, you're no longer a slave, a bondservant. 
enslaved to sin or enslaved to having to make yourself righteous through law-keeping, but you are a child, a son, a daughter. And if a son, then it follows that you are an heir by the aid and help of God through Christ. So, let's just kind of condense this statement down. The Apostle Paul is writing here between verse 4 and verse 7 in Galatians chapter 4, probably one of the most power-packed, concise statements of the blood covenant in the New Testament. Glory to God. And what he is saying is that at the right time, God came into the world. He sent his son, Jesus Christ. And who is Jesus? He is the eternal I Am who spoke to Moses, introduced himself to the prophets, created the world, come into the world as the Son. God became human so that he might partake of our nature and ultimately share his nature with us. And so it says that the Lord sent his Son into the world to purchase our freedom out from under the demands of the law under which we were condemned and to grant us instead of lawbreakers to confer upon us the status and the position of sons and daughters of the living God. Hallelujah. Sons and daughters. And he says, because you really are sons and daughters. Now, why it stresses in the Amplified Bible the, the idiom in Greek that, that underscores when it says, because you are the sons of God, that word are has a strength to it that says you really are the sons of God. The reason that strength is there is because prior, under the Old Testament, people were considered sons and daughters of God, but only in the most abstract sense that God had entered into a covenant with Abraham, and they being the descendants of Abraham, by extension, had access to the covenant. But the reality is, including Abraham, they were all sinners. None of them had been actually transformed and spiritually reborn. So being children of God was more an abstract promise waiting to be fulfilled. But when that promise was fulfilled in Jesus, we actually became, through the new birth, sons and daughters of the living God. Can you say amen? amen. You know, one of, one of the reasons why this is important is that today we often hear, and in church, we hear this phrase, it's used all the time, and, and unfortunately Christians use it, we're all children of God. But the fact is that really isn't true. In fact, the fallen race of Adam fell, and in their fell, they fell out of sonship with God and fell underneath a stepfather called Satan. And thus Jesus said to the Pharisees, when they challenged him, said, well, we are the descendants of Abraham. You can't, you can't speak to us about freedom. We're already free. And Jesus is looking at them saying, what you are is you are religious, but you're not free. And because they had taken this position against Jesus, the religious leaders, he said, you're actually, if you really want me to tell you the truth, you're actually of your father, the devil. And that, they blew a gasket. <laughs> After hearing that, they just, they, they got together and they said, we have, to, we have to kill him. We can't have this guy running around saying stuff like this. But today, that, that same misunderstanding exists. 
that uh, humanity at large, we are all children of God. And I know that a lot of people, what they're trying to say is we are descended from God and that God made us in his image and likeness. And if that's what they're saying, that's true. We were made in the image and likeness of God. But that's not the same as being able to say, Dad, when you speak to the Heavenly Father, because we have fallen under that transformation, that negative transformation of sin. So after the fall, God chose the blood covenant as the type of relationship he wanted to draw us into. He wanted to draw man into because it was the only relationship available out of which two parties could come into agreement and produce a third new creation. And we have, for example, in our marriage, descended from God, God gave the institution of marriage, a reflection of what the blood covenant really is. Think about it. A man and a wife joined together in an eternal bond, and they become one. And in the ceremony, that is what is celebrated, the fact they've become one. And then out of that come some new creations. One, two, three, sometimes you're like the Trimbles, you get about five or six of them. And uh, the relationship, the covenant, produce those new creations. Well, the new creations that Adam produced down through the centuries were just sinners reproducing sinners, unfortunately. But God, in order to bring us back into communion with himself, had to make us a new creation capable of reproducing spiritually sons and daughters of God. And that's why when he made the blood covenant with Abraham in Genesis chapter 15, and if you weren't here for any of this, you can pick it up in the previous week's messages. But that's why he made the, the covenant was being made between the father and the son, and not between Abraham and God, but between Jesus and God. Because Jesus was the new creation, firstborn among many brethren of the blood covenant, and in receiving him as Savior, we become heirs of that covenant. And that was the basic plan of salvation. And that's why knowing the blood covenant is important because it helps to get your mind around, get your mind around the mechanics of what it really meant to be saved and what God did in order to produce that. So receiving Jesus as the one who made the blood covenant um, is the difference between putting your faith in Jesus or believing in Jesus. When you receive Jesus of the blood covenant, you are putting your faith in Jesus, not just believing in Jesus. And you might say, oh, Pastor, that sounds like a lot of semantics. Uh, what's the difference between believing in Jesus and putting your faith in Jesus? But the difference is significant. You see, believing in Jesus is simply believing in and acknowledging his abilities. I believe Jesus existed. I believe he's the Son of God. I believe he could do anything. I believe he worked miracles. Believing in who he is, believing in what he's able to do, that's believing in Jesus. A lot of Christians believe in Jesus. But the step we really need to take the thing that puts us into the blood covenant is putting 
your faith in Jesus. It's one thing to believe that that narrow walkway across that deep chasm will hold you up if you walk across it. It's another thing to start walking and to put your trust that it'll hold you up. So believing in Jesus is basically believing in his abilities. But putting your faith in Jesus is believing in his love for you. And that is the difference. When you receive Jesus, it's not because you believed in what he was able to do, but there was a moment at which you believed he really loved you, that he cared personally about you. That's what the blood covenant is all about. It's about God saying, I am going to take action motivated by my prime essential characteristic. I am a father. I desire children. And that's why I made man in my image and likeness. To redeem from among the fallen sons and daughters and to adopt them. And the whole thing is going to be my love for them operating. And so we believe not just in the ability to God, but essentially it's important that you this morning believe that the father loves you, that he, I've heard people use expressions, it might set your, your teeth on edge, I'm not sure, but I don't see anything wrong with it theologically. God's crazy about you. He just tickled with you. He, he delights. There are theological words like the Lord delights in you that indicate the Father's delight and love for you. Can you say Amen. So when you receive Jesus, and I'm just kind of laying some, some foundation to get to the meat of this. When you receive Jesus as your Savior, that makes you an heir of the blood covenant. So in our scripture, in verse 7, when it said, if you are a child, if you are a son, then it follows that you are an heir. So when you receive Jesus, you receive his relationship with the Father. You receive his life. And that puts you in the position of receiving his inheritance. Well, what is Jesus' inheritance? It was all laid out in the Abrahamic covenant. The blood covenant is the contract God made with himself in order to send himself as Jesus into the world and capture you and rescue you with his love. So what are those things? Well, you read them. They're too numerous to really go into. You could pick any one of them and preach for 30 minutes on them. But victory over your enemies, acceptance at the throne of God, oneness with the Lord, peace, and it goes on and on and on. If you read the 28th chapter of Deuteronomy, the first 14 verses are filled with the blessings pronounced in the blood covenant. Blessed in the city. Blessed in the country, blessed in your field, blessed around your table, children blessed, wife blessed. I mean, he doesn't leave anything out. The blessings are there for those that receive the blood covenant. So that is the inheritance Jesus received from the Father. When you receive Jesus as your Savior, that blood covenant inheritance belongs to you. Your debt of sin is paid off by the wealth of his grace. And best of all, your sin nature is replaced with a new birth 
as the child of God. And the condemnation you previously had over yourself as a sinner is replaced with his righteousness. You see that the... the, the slaying of the animal into two halves in the blood covenant. The reason why there needed to be a death is so that life could come forth because Adam needed to be put to death. You know, um, my wife had a wonderful saying uh, for years. It used to just crack me up every time she'd use it. Oh, he's, he's, he's dead. He just hasn't fallen over yet. And... <laughs> That's really what unsaved people are. That's what you and I were before we got saved. We were the zombies that all the movies are about, the walking dead. We were walking in spiritual death, and when we finally fell over, the Bible says hell would open its marble jaws and swallow us forever, abandon. What a loss, what a waste how the heart of the Father breaks and aches over everyone who's lost to eternity when they were created to be his sons and daughters. Something had to free us from death, and that's why Jesus died, because Jesus was the only one who could die and survive it. We could not survive death, but Jesus could survive death because there was no sin in him. He died and sprung right back up again. Hallelujah. So that's death. All right, well, that's over with. Tick that box off. You just see Jesus coming out of the tomb. All right, what else have you got? Well, that was it. That's pretty much it. Uh, death was the final, the final enemy. And the Lord said, well, I guess we're finished here. My work is done. Hallelujah. Somebody say amen. So that's what you inherited. You inherited a transformation, a new birth as a child of God. You say, wow, what's my nature like? Am I just a reconstituted Glenn or a reconstituted Giselle or, or, or a, a, a reconstituted Chris? Well, yes, you are you. You are your personality, the composite of your soul. But the life, the blood, the life, the spirit that is in you is Jesus Christ. Paul said in Galatians 2.20, I live, yet not I, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live, I live by the faith of the Son of God. Love me, gave himself for me. So essentially, the blood covenant was designed to make God your father. Who's your daddy? We've all heard the saying in the world. I think we're going to answer that question this morning. In the 20th chapter of the Gospel of John, Jesus has risen from the dead and he's standing outside the tomb. He has not yet ascended up to the Father. And uh, Mary comes and falls and grabs, grabs him around the ankles and is holding on to him. She's probably hugging him. And Jesus says to her, Do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. Now listen carefully. But go to my brothers and tell them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and to your God. Never was a greater, more powerful statement ever penned or ever spoken in reality and in truth. Jesus made the pronouncement, the blood covenant is fulfilled. I am ascending to the one that I was telling you about for three and a half years. 
the thing that gave me boldness, the thing that made me so that I never worried. And as I went through my days, wherever I went, my father was with me. I saw him working. I simply did what I saw him doing. Never did Jesus fail at a single thing. Jesus never tried anything. He simply did everything. Hallelujah. And so now he says, I give to you that which made me Messiah. I give to you the Father. I am ascending to my Abba, my daddy. And guess what? He is now your daddy. Do you have a rough childhood? Bad dad? You now have a good dad. You now have a wonderful father. The God who loves us, not only made us, but redeemed us, he is our father. So the blood covenant is designed for God to make you his child and for you to relate to him as his child and as your father. So I quote this verse every week when I share on the blood covenant, and I want to quote it again. Ezekiel 16, 62 says, I will establish my covenant with you, and then you will know that I am the Lord. You know, I, I was an atheist when I received Jesus Christ as my Savior, and I had no Bible training. I wasn't raised in a Christian home or household. I was, I was raised in a household that, as far as I knew, was an atheistic household, because I asked my dad, do we believe in God? He said, no, we don't believe in God. We believe in science. And... Um, at any rate, my dad knows Jesus and loves the Lord today, but that was, that was a different time. And so <clears throat> the fact is, is I never knew anything about God. But the night I got saved alone in my bedroom, having never sought God, never been to a church, I'd never heard the gospel preached, the night that the Lord came and just took hold of my heart and just said, would you like to know if God is real? That's kind of what grabbed hold of me as I was laying in that bed alone. I was an atheist, didn't believe there was a God. And here he was lifting me up and speaking to my heart. The way I knew that it was the Lord, and I didn't know that Jesus was Lord, I didn't know who Jesus was, except that I knew that it had something to do with the cross and death, but that was it. The reason I knew it is because when he took hold of me, I felt agape, the love of God. Love took hold of me. That's how I knew. That's how we know. God is made known through the love that he has for us. Galatians 5, 6 says, For in Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything, but only faith working through love. See, in the Old Testament, circumcising the males of Israel was really important because it was the sign of the covenant. Did you know that? It was the sign that they were descendants of Abraham and that they were in covenant with God. So most assuredly, if you were a Jewish male, you were circumcised. If you weren't, you, you know, something wrong with you. You were outcast. You had no covenant with God. And um, Gentiles who were not circumcised had no covenant with God. So Paul now writes in Galatians, after Jesus has come, raised from the dead, he said, well, that, that's all over with. That means nothing now. Well, 
because whether you circumcise, cut your hair short, uh, trim your fingernails, you can do whatever you want. Nothing is going to change the essential problem in here. God sent his son, and he died. He was cut off from life and then rose from the dead victorious to give us life. That is so awesome. Love did that. And so Paul says, neither circumcision or uncircumcision matters. What matters only is faith, which is working through love. So now I want to get down to the heart of this and tell you that faith works through the power of love. It's not believism. It's knowing the Father's love and receiving it, knowing that that blood covenant is all about him loving us. How much does he love us? He himself took our pains, our punishment, everything that had to be done to set us free and to bring us home to him. He did that for us. That's how much he loves us. Can you say amen? So, as I said before, though I came to Christ as an atheist, having no prior concept of God, I instantly recognized him, however, through the, through the loving, I, 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 simply, I, I instantly recognized him as the loving Heavenly Father because of the powerful interactions that I had with my earthly dad when I was growing up. Now, um, what I am going to say to you in the next few minutes, some of you may be able to relate with it, some of you may not. So use your imagination if this was not your experience. I had a great dad growing up, and uh, I can't take a lot of time talking about him, but uh, he's still with us, and he loves the Lord, and he's, I, I love spending time with him. But even when he was an atheist and, and basically steered me into atheism, he was a great dad. And so my experiences with him really prepared me to recognize God as a heavenly father when I got saved as an atheist, like I said, having no prior experience or teaching about God. And <clears throat> that phrase, who's your daddy, I mentioned that before. That's a popular phrase in the world, and it's sometimes used... Um, sarcastically as an expression meant to pry confidence in one's father away from someone in order to assert dominance over them. Who's your daddy? You come from nothing. Your daddy can't save you. You know, it's a, it's a, it's a kind of a sarcastic thing. Sometimes it's used humorously. But that question, who's your daddy? It, um, it's meant to clip our wings and, and take confidence away from us. So I want to share with you, regale you with a few stories about my dad because they are the things that really made me be able to receive the Father through Jesus Christ. The first one I call my shelter in the storm. And the Bible talks about our God, our Father, as a shelter in the storm. I didn't have a hard time believing that when I received it because I had an experience when I was probably about, I think about nine, ten years old. My brother would have been two years younger than me. And my dad, my brother, and I went on a skiing trip, as we would often do, in Germany. We were living in Germany. And so there were always skis laid up outside our house because we skied everywhere. 
you went, in case the snow would be on the ground and it just stayed there. So we went up on this mountain skiing, and we're up there skiing, and all of a sudden an unbelievable blizzard, horrible blizzard blows up. Now when you're 10 years old, any blizzard's a horrible blizzard. And um, we had to get down the mountain, and then we had to, on our skis, make our way back to where the car was parked, which was a number of miles from the base of the mountain. We were already freezing cold. And so my dad told my brother and I to fall in behind him. We got down the mountain and we started making our way up this road that was all covered with snow and ice on our skis. The wind was blowing against us and we were, of course, you would expect, going uphill. So we're going uphill against a downhill blizzard that I swore it was shooting icicles into my face. And my dad said, get close behind me. And so my brother Danny got close behind my dad, and I got back behind him. And there we are, trudging up that hill for a number of miles while that blizzard is just doing a number on us. My poor brother's crying. I'm probably, I probably cried. I have no idea. But I know that we had tears, ice tracks frozen to the sides of our face. And uh, it was just unbelievable. Every inch just felt like we were fighting for our life. Well, we got to the car, obviously survived. But when my dad turned around, it made an impression on me I'll never forget. It, it showed me what a father is. His face was solid ice and covered with snow. And it was just amazing. I had never seen him like that. And I realized that in the whole front of him, he had been an ice shield and he blocked that uh, uh, blizzard to give us some relief so that we could make it. And so there's nothing more empowering in life than a strong relationship with a wonderful father. And that, that really helped me when I met my heavenly father to believe that he was my shelter in the storm. I learned through that example that if I'm with my father, I can prevail over any obstacle. There is no obstacle, there is no trouble in life that I cannot overcome. I can face anything and I can get through it if my father is with me. And um, when I got saved, I knew that my father was Jehovah Shammah, the ever-present one, that his presence was with me wherever I went. And if I walked in his presence, I could prevail over every obstacle. Can you say amen? amen. The second story um, I call my victory in battle. My dad was my victory in battle. You know, when I grew up, we fought. You know, friends fought, enemies fought, fighting was a way of life. So every son, if he wanted to survive his youth, had to learn how to fight. My dad being a fighter, not just, not just being a, a professional military man, but being a professional boxer also, taught me how to fight. It was hilarious to see a five-year-old with little skinny toothpick arms and great big puffy gloves on trying to swing. Oh my gosh, it was unbelievable. You'd think, oh, that's horrible. Well, by today's standards, my dad could probably be rotting in prison right now. Um, but I love everything he did for me because he made me 
the man that could receive God and understand the love of God. So my victory in battle, my, God, my dad taught me and coached me how to fight. And one day I came home because there was a bully in our neighborhood that was, he was like my Goliath. And he was punching me and knocked me down and just started kicking me. And all of his gang of friends were around me. So I'm getting kicked around like a little dog. And I went home and my dad had told me, don't ever, ever come home uh, with somebody starting a fight with you and you just let them pound on you. So I don't care if you get beat up, you fight back, you defend yourself. So I, I was taught to fight back, which I did. But still, some battles, you just, you're not the overcomer, you're going to be overcome. So I came home and boy, my dad's green eyes, I just saw his brow furrow and his eyes lasered in on me. And he said, come on. He said, I'm going to help you. He said, where is he? And I, my, my spirit rose within me. I thought, oh, my dad's going to beat this kid up. I, I was so excited. So um, I said, well, he's down there in the playground. And the playground was a big playground surrounded by a chain link fence. And the floor of the playground, you got to remember again, uh, didn't have wood chips or little rubber pieces. It was rocks, boulders. You know, so when you flew off the swing, you landed face first in the rocks. And it made, made us tough kids. We didn't need no safe zones. Everything was dangerous. So my dad's got me in tow. We go around back down the hill. The bottom is the playground, and we walk in, and it's full of kids. But sitting on this big cement, um, uh, about this high, uh, sandbox is the bully. And he's got, his little, he's got his little gang of trolls around him. And he's sitting there, and I can't wait because I have no idea what my dad's going to do. And he said, point him out to me. I was like, oh, this is so awesome. Um, and I said, well, that's, that's him over there. He said, all right. He said, we're going to walk past him. We're going to walk past him. And I thought, oh, wait. So I started to subside. He said, don't look at him. Just walk past him. But you and I. And I thought, all right, I'm walking with my dad. The bully's seeing me with my dad. He knows that just, you know, uh, minutes before he was kicking me and pounding on me. So we get past him and we're walking along. And my dad said, Reach down and pick up a rock, one that you can fit your fingers around, a nice big one that you can get your fingers around. Oh, my heart started to race again. Knowing my dad, I knew where we were going. My dad was not going to beat up the bully. He was going to make me do it. And sure enough, we got to the end of the playground. He says, now, he said, son, I'm going to turn around and walk out of here. You stay. <laughs> and uh, he said, keep that rock. He said, walk out. I'm going to walk out. I'm going to go back up the hill. I'm going to stand by our house. And I'm going to observe from up on top of the hill. Once I'm out, let a little time go by. I want you to walk out of the playground. And as you pass this kid on your left, you've got that rock in your right hand. I want you to turn around and with all the strength you have, hit him in the teeth with that rock. And I said to myself, bless God, hallelujah, I can do this. 
There was a surge of confidence that rose up within me. Now, this guy was my Goliath. You've got to understand this. The thought was going through my mind, if I don't knock him out, he is going to chase me, so I'm going to run like a rabbit. And um, then the second thought was, if I hit him, my life will be hell every day for the rest of my life. But my dad knew something I didn't know. So I got up beside him and I did exactly what my dad said. And the last thing I remember seeing, a matter of fact, I don't remember ever seeing this kid again after this. I saw his feet where his head had been as he flipped over backwards off of the thing with a yelp. And I dropped that rock and ran like a jackrabbit. And I ran out of that thing and I turned to run up towards the house up the hill to see my dad and he wasn't there. Boy, the afterburners kicked in. I really started running then because now my dad wasn't in sight. He had gone in the house. He'd left me out there by myself. So I got home, and uh, the kid never catched me. I don't even know if he recovered. But I can tell you this. I never saw that kid again, and he was uh, my nemesis. I don't even remember seeing him. I got to thinking about it. Why did I, why have I no memory of seeing him? Why did he, because he left me completely alone after that. And I realized it wasn't because I got big all of a sudden and he was afraid of me. He was afraid of my relationship with my father. He knew this kid has a dad. And that's what he was afraid of. And he just cut a wide path and left me alone. That little lesson uh, repeated itself several times throughout my life growing up, reinforced in me how wonderful and strong and empowering it is to have a father who's not going to run out like a millionaire and buy you out of all of your troubles, but he's going to teach you how to go out and solve your problems. He didn't solve my problems for me. But he knew how to instill confidence in me so that I knew how to fight my own battles and I knew how to solve my problems. And I knew that I had a father looking over my shoulder. You know, from that point on in my life, I grew up, whether I was at school or off somewhere, wherever my dad was, you know, he could have been, he could have been half a world away, which oftentimes was the case. Um, I always knew he was watching over my shoulder. That made such an impression on me, I felt I'm a kid with a dad, and a dad who has taught me to be capable. And it did something to me. So when I met Jesus Christ, and I met the Heavenly Father, I knew that God really loved me. And I knew that unlike my dad, who went and hid in the house <laughs> after I did my number on the kid, that the, my Heavenly Father will always be with me. Hallelujah. Can you say amen? amen? You know, Jesus had so inspired the disciples with uh, his relationship with his father that when it was their turn to go out into the world, they became world overcomers. They were emboldened because his spirit lived in them. That is what the blood covenant is. It's transformational. It transforms you when you realize God is your Father. And 
he doesn't have enemies that can succeed against him. So he, there's no reason to let his enemies succeed against me. And so it was easy for me to believe by faith in those promises of God because of those experiences I had growing up. It, I know those stories are awkward and, and they might even not seem appropriate to some of you in, in the light of today's uh, elevated sensibilities, let's say. Uh, but it was a rough time and it was a real time. And I think it made real people, praise the Lord. But at any rate, let me close with this scripture. This, uh, this is at the Last Supper. These are the words of the Lord. I have said these things to you in figures of speech. The hour is coming when I will no longer speak to you in figures of speech, but will tell you plainly about the Father. And in that day you will ask in my name. And I don't say to you that I will go and ask the Father on your behalf. Ready for it? For the Father himself loves you. Because you have loved me and have believed that I came from God. There was nothing more important to Jesus than to instill in us that his whole mission was to give us the Father. His entire purpose was to make you a son or a daughter of your heavenly Father. That was the whole objective of the blood covenant was so that you could leave this church today and that whatever is out there waiting that you face, you will know I am not alone. We sang that song this morning for a reason. Our God is fighting for us. We are not alone. I never wanted to fight another kid who had the same thing in his mind and heart that I had in mine because I know they don't give up. They know they're never alone. You can defeat somebody who feels and thinks they're alone. That's why evil people surround themselves with gangs because without a gang around them, they have no confidence. They're alone. But when you receive Jesus Christ, you know that your heavenly Father loves you and that with Him and in Him, you are never alone. And so that scripture that ends um, in our text, I'll repeat it to you. And because you really are his sons, God has sent the Holy Spirit of his son into your heart, crying, Abba, Father. There is a, hey, Dad, inside you this morning if Jesus is Lord of your life. And I pray just like the sharpening of the pencil that that point is finally sharpened and that you feel a new confidence when you leave here today to talk to your Heavenly Father as dad and to know that he is with you and it might even seem a little unfair the advantage that he gives you in life do you know that he is willing to give you unfair advantages and privileges over your enemy God does not make deals with the devil he doesn't have to he has no interest or inclination he wants you to be the head not the tail above not beneath not so that you can be spoiled. You see, that was the thing that I really learned from that lesson where my dad coached me in that fight. Some dads buy their sons out 
And even after they're grown up, their rich fathers are bailing their sons out, uh, you know, with all their legal problems and everything. And uh, a brat like that never grows up. I hate to be crude about it, but you get the idea. But when you have a father who says, it's going to be all right, you're going to go through the storm, but I am going to teach you how to overcome. I'm going to teach you how to fight this battle, and I'm going to teach you how to be victorious. He does that through us because he loves us, and he is instilling his nature in us. Can you say amen? amen. Praise God. Close your Bible. This morning is Communion Sunday. If the servers will quickly come. Um,